Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. Someone said that our expectation is God's invitation. And uh, just being with you guys, I just sense such incredible expectation for God for more and I want to say it's an incredible, incredible privilege for us to be here. I grew up in Bloemfontein, or was born in Bloemfontein, but I lived in Acerplatz for eight years. My dad was in the Air Force, and I, I lived, and we drove past Acerplatz this morning, and I thought, yeah, I grew up here. And I grew up seeing Table Mountain, and I've got incredible love for the people of Cape Town. And Rob and I met in Stellenbosch, so there's something very special about um, Cape Town and the Western Province for us. But uh, I do believe God has a plan. He's got a purpose for each one of you. And uh, I want you to open your heart today. And some of what I might say might come over harsh, but it's not. I really believe that God wants to shift some things in our lives and the way we think, the way we grew up, the way actually we look at the Bible. And I say, Let's, let's shift things a little bit and believe again what the Word of God says and not what people say and, and the way we grew up. I believe it's time for us as believers to get out of our comfy chairs. It's time to get out of our safe zone to make me, myself, and I that life of, that's the most important. Did you know the three most important things in your life? Me, myself, I. It's time to, to make that less important, to step out into what God has for us, to step out in the bigness and the greatness, out of the boring. Do you know what prevents most teenagers from becoming Christians? The fear of boring, the fear of no adventure, sitting still, no joy. I want to ask, whose fault is that? It's us as Christians. I grew up in a very boring church. I never wanted to go. What do you portray? Do you portray the adventure? Do you tell people about the adventure of Jesus? Do you tell people about the adventure of the kingdom? Or do you live a boring life of, I just come to church on a Friday, on a Sunday here, um, when there's no wind and I can't kite surf? Or do you... Well, in Doha, Jesus competes with malls and money and camping and the dunes. And Jesus competes. And I do believe in this... He competes with money. He competes with the beach. He competes with adventure races. It's time to put Jesus first again. It's time to say, Jesus, I give you my all. And it's time to make him adventure and tell the people out there about the adventure so that the churches can be full again. It's time for us to be radical, born-again believers, loving, serving, proclaiming this king that died a radical death so that we can live radical lives. I want to speak about the word radical, and I think I'm preaching to the choir because to be on a a Saturday at 4 o'clock, I think there's something of a radical in you. So I trust that you'll take this word and maybe go and tell, tell it to the people that's not radical enough. But I do believe that radical has become a swear word in many societies. Where we come from, you don't really use the word radical because it's associated with terrorism and many things. But it's time for us as believers to be radical about this king. 
it's time for us to look at this word and say, the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. So often we treat the Bible as a storybook. We read the stories and the parables and it's nice, but do we really believe what the word of God says? Or do we pick and choose what we like? We love the love and peace and kindness. But what about putting God first in your finances? What about putting God first in your relationship? What about forgiving? What about praying for the sick? What about going? And we just want to love, and we just want the peace and the kindness. It's time to go back to the Word of God, to read and to believe what it says. Imagine that you work for a company, and the president of the company comes to all his employees and says, I have to leave the country for a bit. I'm going to go away, but I leave you guys in charge. I'm going to write letters every month, every two months, to give you instructions how to run my company. And the president leaves. He writes his letters often. And then he comes back a couple years later, hoping, expecting to see his business thriving. And when he walks in, there's weeds in the flower beds. The windows are broken. The receptionist is a bit sleepy. There's no profit. The business is making no profit at all. So immediately he comes and he calls everyone in and says, what happened, guys? Didn't you receive my letters? Of course we received your letters. We read your letters every day. We bind them together in a book. We memorize some of the letters. We had letters study every Sunday. (laughs) But what did you do about my instructions? And what would you say? Do you? I didn't do anything. I was beautiful letters. Isn't it a little bit like us? We read, we love, we sing, we quote scripture. But what are we doing about it? What are we doing about the instructions that Jesus gave in the Word? Today I want to talk about a verse in Acts 5 verse 29. It says, Peter and other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than man. You see, my friends, we live in a society where it's the complete opposite. We listen to our boss and our job. We listen to the movie stars and the magazines. We listen to the news. We listen to our peers. We listen to the people gossiping. We need to get to a place where we fear God more than man. Jesus gave us clear instructions when he ascended into heaven. He left left us with instructions, but what you're going to do with it is your choice. We often say the Bible plus nothing or minus nothing. I don't know if you know that quote or quote. It's a nice catchphrase, but do you believe it? Or do you go and say, I, I, I choose this part, but I'm not so sure about this part. The Bible plus nothing, the Bible minus nothing. Now, the last words someone speaks before he dies are normally important words. When you call to a deathbed of someone and, and he speaks to you, it's something he wants to impart, something he wants you to, to listen to, to obey, and, and actually put into action. So let's look at a couple of the last words Jesus spoke before he died. In Matthew 28, verse 18, it says, And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Sorry, I'm just going to do this. 
Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And I am with you always till the end of the ages. Go, make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Mark 16, verse 15 And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to to all creation. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. These signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak in a new tongue. They will pick up serpents, and if I drink a deadly poison, they will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. Acts 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. To sum it up, Jesus is looking at his disciples. He's looking at those he really love. And he's saying to them, go. He's saying with hope in his voice, would you go? Would you go and show me off to the world? Would you go and be me to the world? Would you go and demonstrate my love, my power, my greatness to the world? He's standing here today asking you, would you go? Would you be his hands and his feet? Would you go and love people that do not know Jesus? Would you go and pray for the sick? Would you go and trust Jesus when you put your hand on someone that's demonized that the demons will flee? But no, I don't know if I believe that part. It's a bit radical. It's time for us to become radical Christians and to believe what the Word of God says. You might say, I'm willing to maybe go to a, what do you call it, an open home or a life group. I'm willing to serve in the church. I even willing to say no to kite surfing and come to, to, to Sunday morning, but go to the nations, go to my neighbor, give. I give my tithe. I'm not so sure if I can give a little bit more than that. Go to a hospital and pray for someone that's sick. I'm not so sure. Jesus looked at his disciples and he said, go, touch, speak, be me. We call to be the hands and the feet of Jesus Christ. And we cannot have a faith conference and say we will not be radical people. We cannot have a faith conference they're going to have faith. But we sit in our comfy chairs and say, no, that's not for me, that's for Mark. Each one of us, if you believe in Jesus Christ, I tell you, you call to make a difference. You call to speak life. You call to touch. You call to love the unloved. It's time for us to rise up and say, I will be a radical Christian because I serve a radical king. Peter stood up and he said, he faced and he said, we need to obey God rather than man. We see Peter, he was a fisherman. He was not qualified in the eyes of of man. It was like Rob said yesterday, he was one of those nobodies, actually. He didn't have a Bible degree. He was rough and tough, uneducated. He made many mistakes. 
and he boldly obeyed and followed Jesus. He was one of the first disciples called by Jesus. He was the first to call Jesus the son of the living God. He was bold and often wrong. He walked on water. I want to just for a moment stop there. Peter was in the boat. He was scared. And Jesus didn't come and calm the storm. He said to him, I know you're scared, but look at me. Walk on water. And when, when Peter sank, Jesus didn't say waves die down. He didn't calm the storm because Peter was scared and fearful. He reached out his hand and lifted him up. Sometimes we're fearful and scared. But I want to say, Jesus, don't always calm the storm. Sometimes he calms you in the storm so that you can go through the storm, so that you can experience, so that you can, can be a radical Christian walking on water because of this king. It was said that Peter was crucified upside down because he felt unworthy to be crucified the same way as Jesus did. From an arrogant man of thunder, he became a humble, willing, obedient servant of Lord Jesus Christ, even to his death. Peter's whole calling started with a choice of obeying or refusing to obey Jesus. So we can turn our Bibles to Luke 5. I'm just going to read a couple of verses. Luke 5 is 1. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, that is Peter, and asked him to put out a little bit from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he'd finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that the nets began to break. You see, friends, when we read Luke 5, we see Peter was, was faced with a, a life-changing choice. And the outcome of, of his decision would determine his future. The night before, Peter went out in his boat, went fishing like every night, and he didn't catch anything. So now he came back, pulled in his nets, He's tired, he's hungry, he just wants to go home. He's clearing his nets, packing them away. Wife, kids waiting at home because he needs to come back again tonight. And Jesus arrives. Jesus arrives and the next thing Peter knew is that his boat became the stage of the Savior. His boat, the very thing that, that belongs to him, it's a life just where he earned his money, come the stage of Jesus Christ. Jesus has been preaching, the crowd's pressing him, he's standing with his back to the water, and he's asking, can I get in this boat? Peter's working his nets, he's listening half to this Jesus, and he's got a choice. I'm hungry, I'm tired. Won't you use another boat, Jesus? Won't you use my friend's boat? Yes. While I'm packing up, no worries. 
you just use my bus. Small decision. I want to say sometimes we think that small decisions, that small denying Christ, that small behind the scenes do not matter. Sometimes you think, uh, I'm just looking at the screen and, and no one sees and it doesn't matter, it doesn't bother anyone else. Sometimes you think, what, I'm, I'm just hiding my sin under, under the carpet, it's only me and my little pleasure. Sometimes you say, no, Jesus, not today. Peter had a small decision. Can I use your boat or not? I know one day if he said no, where would he have been? If he said, I don't think he would have had three and a half years with Jesus. I don't think he would ever have walked on water. What is your boat that can become the stage for the Savior? The stage where the love of the Savior can be proclaimed from, be demonstrated from. Rob spoke about a, a couple in Athens last night, Eli and Vula. They planted a church amongst the Syrian refugees. He, she's a Greek and he's a Syrian Greek. Incredible man. If you look at him, you look at his eyes, you see the love of Jesus. And uh, before he drove an old beaten up station wagon. And Elias would drive to the harbor where thousands of refugees would live in little tents with very little ablution box. And he would load as many as he could, people into his station wagon. He would take them home, give them a hot shower, give them soap, take them back. And the next day, he would do it again. His car, his heart, his house became a stage for the love of the Savior. Friends of ours relocated to Thailand. They planted a church in Thailand. And they met a young boy. He was training to be a monk, a Buddhist boy, living on the streets. They took him in. They gave him her house, home. They gave him schooling. They loved him. And today, Stephen is a young man loving Jesus Christ. He's got finished school. He's busy with, with his degree. He works in the church. He preaches. Barry and Lizzie's love, their house, their, their finances became a stage for the Savior. A while, about two years ago, we sent a group of teenagers to Nepal just for a youth trip. And uh, the one day, uh, a girl with polio walked into the meeting. Now, my daughter didn't know even it's polio. She just saw this crippled girl coming in on her crutches. And she and a friend, Luchi, zoomed in onto this girl, and they said, can we pray for you? And they prayed, and Emma says, she was 14 at that stage, she said, mom, we pray for about an hour. Now, I don't know if I will pray for an hour for someone. Anyway, she said, nothing happened, but we said to her, come back tomorrow. Next day, this girl pitched up again. Emma and Luchi goes to her, and Emma tells me, she says, well, we just put her down on a chair, as we've seen you do it. We looked at the legs. And the one leg was shortened than the other, and we prayed, and God aligned the legs. She said, and then we wondered, can we see a difference if the brace is still on the leg? So we took the brace off. And as they laid hands on this calf, she said, it was like marbles running up and down, and the calf doubled in size in their hands, and the girl walked out. Now I say to you, my daughter Emma and Lucy's time, their faith, their love became a stage 
for the Savior. I'm going to tell a couple of stories because I do need, to, I need us to realize it's not only the educated. It's not only those with the Bible degree. It's not only those that's got money. But what we've got in our hands can be used by Jesus. Friends of ours from England felt the call to go and plant a church in northern Cyprus, Turkish Republic of Cyprus. They only speak Turkish there. So they take their three kids, relocate. The kids go to a Turkish school. Within nine months, the kids, I have to say, were fluent in Turkish. And Dean started, he worked in a, in a sort of a carpentry business a little bit, and Donna started a cleaning business. She cleaned people's homes and toilets so that they can hear about Jesus Christ. They opened their home, their living room. People started coming in. People from all around the world started to hear about this Jesus. Dean and Donna's hands, their humbleness, their living room became a stage for the Savior. What can Jesus use today? Your life? Your dining room table? Your hands? Your mouth? Your skill? Your talent? Your willingness? We've got an incredible young man from Nepal. His name is Yudin. Yudin can speak a little bit of English, but when he worships in English, he leads people into the presence of God. When Yudin came to, to Qatar, he worked as a barista in Starbucks at our general hospital, our government hospital. And he did his, work, or his job so well, this incredible, friendly, kind young man, that the minister of health came in often to get a cup of coffee, and he started seeing Yudin. And one day he came to him and said, I want you to come and work for me. So Yudin quit his job at Starbucks, and today he's a barista, he's a chief coffee maker, into the office of the minister of health in Qatar. Yudin's skill to make a cup of coffee became the stage for the Savior. And he spreads the love of Jesus Christ in corridors where I cannot walk, where Rob cannot walk. Some of us walk in places where no one else can. What is it that you carry? What is that unique skill, that unique gifting that can become the stage for the Savior? I want to challenge you today. Do not look like to the one next to you. What do you have? It might only be a dining room table. Invite someone to come and join for a meal. Tell them about Jesus. Let them see Jesus. What? Is your boat. You see, friends, it starts with a small choice. Like, can I use your boat? Can I use your home, your car, your voice, your gifting, your skill? Can I use your boat as my stage? But that's not where it ends. So Peter made the first small decision. You can have my boat. But then the bigger one comes. Peter, I know you worked all night. I know you have cleaned and packed away your nets. I know you're hungry. I know many people are watching and might giggle and laugh if you fail. But would you go back? Would you go back onto the water and throw the net on the other side? I know you failed last night, but will you try again? And there's so many excuses Peter could have used. I'm tired. Isn't that an often used excuse today? I'm tired. Not today. Maybe tomorrow. 
his friends were close by, just watching him. Watching, do you think this fisherman is going to listen to this rabbi? Do you think he's going to be stupid enough to go out again and in the middle of the day try and catch fish? I want to say to you, peer pressure. Peer pressure often rob us from the greatest adventure with Jesus Christ. I want to say to you, young people, do not allow peer pressure to make decisions for you. So often, it's not cool. What will they say? I might never be invited to a party again. I will have no friends. If Peter cared about people's opinion more, he would never have walked on water. He would have never seen this miraculous catch. And he would not have had his three years, three and a half years with Jesus. Another excuse he could have used. He was married. Most probably had children. So he was away the whole night. Wife and kids waiting. When is dad coming home? We've got a football match. Dad needs to help me with some maths. And Peter says, yes. Yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. You can use me. You can use my time. You see, my friends, our family and our kids should never become a hindrance to the call of God. They are part of this adventure. And too often I see young people going for God in a moment. They fall pregnant. They have this precious little baby that's a gift of life and should be a blessing. That baby becomes a hindrance. God is calling us as families. He's not calling the dad and the wife and kids stay behind. He's calling families. I remember the first time we, we decided we go on this apostolic trip about 13 years ago. We're in a prayer meeting and Dave Wallen says, who's going to Pakistan? Oh. Rob and I both knew we had to go. I had a five-year-old, a two-year-old, and a one-year-old at home. God I don't know, are we going to do this, but you need to provide. And God did supernaturally provide someone to look after the kids. And I remember that day packing and then having to say goodbye to the kids. And my oldest one, Anae, was literally clinging to Rob's legs. I said, please, Daddy, don't leave us. Don't leave us. I was crying all the way to the airport. Crying. What have I done? That trip changed our lives. The love for the nations was birthed in us. And you know what? Last year... My oldest daughter, Anae, had the privilege to go to Pakistan with Rob. And she went. She preached the gospel. She saw 25 kids getting, 40 kids getting saved in one meeting. We called as family. But so often we use our families as excuses. And I'm not saying we should not be there for our kids. We serve a good, good father. Yesterday my son was playing a rugby tournament. And we tried to be at these games as much as we can, but not often, not always that we can. Yesterday, God provided two of our elders. They stood up and said, today we will be his dad and we will go and watch. So God places us in communities. God looks after our kids. God provides if we say yes to this king. But I want to ask you, do not allow your kids' activities to become a hindrance and an excuse not to be radical for this king. We also see that although Peter did not did fish the night before, and he was not he was not successful, and then Jesus told him to do it again, and he says, "Because you say so, I will." So what about you? Go and pray for the sick. 
And I, I've tried that a week ago, and, and that person actually didn't get better. This morning, we, Rob and I went to pray for a little girl, three years old, dying of leukemia. We prayed, we loved, didn't see immediate breakthrough. I don't know if she's going to survive. But the word says, lay hands on the sick. And if she does not live, if she dies, I cannot stop and say, I'll never do it again. The word says, lay hands on the sick. Jesus, I don't understand it. I failed yesterday, but I'll try it again, and again, and again. Drive out demons. Mm, that's a bit messy. We've tried that as a church, and people were a bit uncomfortable. Oh, maybe not. Of course, you say so, Jesus. We'll do it. Go. Don't baptize people. We've got this oh, church where we come from. Uh, we don't really baptize people. No, we, because you say so, Jesus. Go to the nations because you say so, Jesus. I've tried it. It didn't work, but I'll try again and again. Jesus is asking for radical obedience. If the Bible says so, let's do it. Let's say for argument's sake, Peter got in that boat and he caught nothing. What do you think the people around him's reaction would be? Do you really think people would have laughed at him? Do you really think people would say, oh, you didn't catch anything? I don't think so. I think people would say, how was it to be with Jesus? What did he say to you? How was it to be so close to him? We worry about what other people might say, what other people might think. But I tell you, when we step out, when we do what he's calling us to do, we're close to him. We feel his presence and his pleasure. Let's be obedient people. It is not for us to wonder what will happen when God does not show up, when he does not heal or deliver. It is our job to do as the word says and leave the mystery up to God. About four years ago, um, from Dow Fellowship, we planted a church into the, in, in Natal, Natal in Moy River area on the farm where Rob grew up. And it's, uh, it's in the hidden valleys. That's all I can say. And there's thousands of people that have never heard about Jesus Christ. And today it's a thriving church. It's incredible to see the amount of salvations. But there's this one lady, Jabu. And Jabu was born with spinal, or not born, she had spinal TB. So she walks with a walker, but she drags herself. She, can't, she cannot walk. And we've been there so many times. And every time I see Jabu, I say, Jabu, can we pray for you? She said, yes, please. And one time we were there and we really, I really believed that she would be healed. We prayed and she said she felt movement in her toes and we started marching around the coffee table and got all excited. She wasn't healed. Jabba's not disappointed. Every time I see her, I said, Jabba, can I pray for you? She said, yes, please. And last, we were there in November. I prayed for her again. And she took my face in her hands and she says, I love you. Thank you for never giving up. She's not disappointed. She's not angry. She's not a bitter Christian. She just appreciates someone loving her enough to get her into the presence of Jesus. Let's not wonder what's going to happen if, if Jesus doesn't catch up. He's here anyway. 
Leave the mysteries to him. Let's be a radical people. Let's be a radical people. So often we get the opportunity to fish for Jesus, but then our disappointment, our past failures, our friends' opinions, the reaction of other people around us, or our commitment to family, sorry, get one more, prevents us from saying yes. Can you imagine Peter saying, sorry, Jesus, not today. Sorry, Jesus, I'm tired. I've tried it. Maybe tomorrow. What would have happened to him, the call on his life, his future, his family? The word of God says, lay hands on the sick and they will be healed. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is in you, and you will do greater things than him. Why are we so afraid to cast our net and to walk on water? Fear robs. Fear destroys. It paralyzes. Fear prevents us from being radical. The enemy used this emotion of, I'm scared, and he wants us to focus on our fear instead of focus on what the Word of God says. It's like you owe a thousand rand, and you know you've got nothing in your account, so the moment you have to start paying bills, and the thousand rand, you, you, you're petrified, you wonder how I'm going to do it, and all you focus on is the lack, and you focus on what you do not have. When you've got five or you owe 5,000 rand and you've got a million in your account, you won't blink an eye. And that's exactly what the enemy uses and does. He focus, it allows us to focus so much on what we owe that we forget what is in our account. What does the scripture say? You're sick. I've got, might have cancer. Yes, you are sick. But what's in your account? Jehovah Rapha, the God that heals all. What's in your account? Guys, it's time to look at Scripture again and not to look at what the enemy is telling you, what the world's telling you, what your situation is telling you. I might, I'm not as eloquent or beautiful and popular as my peers. It might be true in the eyes of the people around you, but what's in your account? You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You're knitted together in your mother's womb. I might fail, I might lose my job, I might have to move, I might be bankrupt. What's in your account? He knows the exact times and places you should live. He's your provider. But we look at our problems and we look, I'm sick and nothing can happen. What's in your account? Guys, we give in to fear and we get shriveled up limp-wristed Christians that sit on a chair and we're boring and no one wants to become a Christian. God is saying it's time to get up. It's time to believe the word of God again. It's time to move on and to be a radical people. Fear, and specifically the fear of man, causes people to lose courage. It is a crippling disease. Can we be a people that say no to fear and look at the scripture and believe the word of God again? The only thing we should fear is to stand before the, in front of the King of Kings one day, empty-handed, and saying, I should have. I can't think of anything worse. Standing there, I should have, Jesus. I should have gone. I should have spoke. I should have prayed. The reality is, if we do not obey, God will use someone else. 
you will find someone else that's willing. And in 10 years' time, you will be stuck not understanding why people run past you in the things of the kingdom. You'll be frustrated and miserable because the call will always be there. But you and your excuses prevented you from walking in it. Go to the nations. I'm making you fishes of men. Oh, sorry, Jesus. My son's got a rugby match. My kids are small. I don't have the finances. I have to keep the, fam- uh, the holiday for family time. I know it sounds tough. But you know, Peter could have used any of those excuses. The Bible says he left everything and followed Jesus. Leaving everything means everything that entangles you, that keeps you back. Fear, failure, past, love of money, pride, peer pressure, possessions. That is more important than Jesus. I often use this example. It might have been used here again as well. But when you get baptized, people take out their car keys and put their phone, their wallet, and their watch. So Jesus, you can have all of me. Go under the water, but don't touch those things. Don't touch my time and my money and my phone. Have all of me, but not those. It's time where we say, Jesus, I give you my all. I give you my all. Heaven's a good father. He's a good father. He will look after. He will provide. Obedience to Jesus means, yes, Jesus, you can have my boat, my house, my family, my life, and use it as your stage. I will take my nets that I've packed away. I'll give my time. I won't worry what people say. And I will cast my net because you say so. My obedience today prepares me for my my obedience tomorrow. And tomorrow's obedience prepares you for the years to come. I want to say that your obedience today, as you make a decision today, prepares you for obedience tomorrow, and tomorrow's obedience prepares you for the obedience of the future. We cannot be a, be a people that say, maybe tomorrow. God is calling now. You know what Peter's obedience, as he obeyed Jesus, it led to the revelation of who's standing in front of him. He obeyed. He didn't realize really who this, this rabbi is. And he obeyed this rabbi. And then it says in verse 8, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. He realized it's the king of kings standing in front of him. Your obedience will lead to a revelation of this radical, beautiful king that we serve. Obeying Jesus doesn't guarantee no failures. It does not guarantee making no mistakes, having any disappointments. But obeying Jesus means to have an incredible journey of adventure, a love relationship, an intimacy with this beautiful king. I want to just finish with, it's incredible how uh, two of the main things that happened in Peter's life was with boats. And the one, Jesus says, Peter, get in your boat and cast your net. And the next instant, Jesus is saying, Peter, get out of the boat and walk on water. And so often we're so comfortable with Jesus, we've got it all figured out. This is the way Jesus speaks. This is the only way I'll listen. Now Jesus says, Peter, get in the boat. Peter, get out of the boat. 
We need to walk with Jesus. We need to listen. We need to hear. We do not need, we cannot try and figure it out by ourselves. I remember one time I prayed for a lady. She had a hip problem. Her name was Lisa. And uh, I was so comfortable. I've seen so many healings in God stretching out legs. So she sits in front of me, and the one leg is much longer than the other leg. And sort of a, was actually, the, the, the leg was out of the hip. So I prayed, I said, God, stretch out the leg, stretch out the leg, stretch out the leg, because that I'm comfortable with. That's the way God does it. Nothing happened. So she taps me on the shoulder after a while. She says, this is actually the sore leg, so don't you think we should pray, God, push the leg back? So, oh, great idea. And I said, God, push the leg back. God, push the leg back. But I got so comfortable, this is the way God speaks, this is what I know, this is what I understand. Sit down and say, God, what are you saying? What are you saying? What's the new? What's the way you want to do it? And sometimes he does the same over and over again, but sometimes he speaks in a different way. Get in, of, in the boat. Yes, Jesus. Get out of the boat. Yes, Jesus. I want to ask, can we be a radical people? Can we be a people that say yes to this radical king? Can we be a people to say, Jesus I only have a voice, but can this be your stage? I, I only have ability to love, but can that be your stage to reach the people? What is the boat you have that can become the stage of our Savior? Just... I, I don't know about you, but there's a one question I wrote down as Lee spoke. What is, what is that? I want to read it. I don't want to mess it up. See it. So what do I have that is unused that can become a stage for the Savior? Just felt that. What do I have that's unused? I'm like, God, I've responded, but, but God, God always calls us to more. And, and I, as, as I thought that, just I was, the story that just came to mind was there's a man named Moses in Exodus chapter 4. God says, Moses, go to the nation. I'm calling you to a bigger story than you can ever imagine. He's hiding in the in the desert, and God's no, giving you the nation of Egypt to set them free. And, and excuses, 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 and he says, what do you have in your hand? He says, I've got a shepherd's staff. And they have this back and forth, and until the moment, God says, actually, Moses, enough, obey and go. It says that when the Moses obeyed and he left, in chapter, verse 20 of chapter 4, it says, Moses left with the staff of God. The first one says, what do you have? The shepherd's staff. When he obeyed that thing, the shepherd's staff became the staff of God that he led the people with. I felt God saying, what is in our hands? What do you have? What, is, what have you got that's unused for the stage of Jesus? And I believe this moment, I don't want to call it emotionally or something, but I believe God is calling us. Mark just means, I believe something, this is a bigger moment than we think. I think God is doing something inside us that will change our futures. Obedience today will determine obedience in the futures tomorrow. Radical obedience determines radical futures. Can we close our eyes? Let's going to pray for us, but more importantly, our response, the, our response here is key. I, I, I just feel strongly that there are people here who are going, we're going to make Peter moments here. You can have my boat. And adventures are beginning that maybe we've limited God or we think, I've had an adventure already with God, but God's saying, no, 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 it's just beginning. What do you have that is unused that God wants to use to be the stage for Jesus? I want you to think of that one thing. What is it? My time? God, my hands. I've been longing to pray for the sick, but I haven't done it. It's 
that's my home. Actually, uh, the excuse of the kids, I'm actually going to put that aside. What is it? I'm going to ask you in this moment, not, not responding to a sermon, but responding to the call of God. Could you stand if you say, God, I, I'm making something available for you? If that's you, I believe God, God is going to do something. A radical, simple moment. Big futures opening up. As you stand, can you lift your hands to him? Let's going to pray. But I believe it's more than just a, a, a small thing. This is God opening up futures, nations, inheritances. Father God, we see the hands and the hearts. We see the eyes lifted towards you. And I believe you are hearing that you can use my boat. Yes, Jesus, you can use my boat. Use my voice, my hands, my money, my dining room table, my car, my gifts, my talents. You can have it all. You can have it all. Father God, I pray that this will not only be an emotional standing up, but this will be obedience of today that will prepare them for the obedience of tomorrow because there's a call and a future, a bigness, the lost out there are crying out. And because you're saying, yes, Jesus, God is saying, I'll send them. I'll bring them in. Father God, I pray right now. I do believe there's some that, that said yes before. And they've tried before and it didn't work. In their eyes, they were laughed at, disappointed. And I pray, Father God, right now for courage to say, because you say so, Jesus, I'll do it again. Because you say so, Jesus, I'll try again. And I'll try again and I'll try again. Because you say, pray for the sick, I will. Because you say go, I will go, Jesus. Father, I pray that you'll break off disappointment. You'll break off fear. You'll break off the past in the name of Jesus Christ. Father God, I thank you for radical people saying yes to the radical king today. Father God, I thank you for church planters that's standing. There's some of you that's saying, yes, I will go. And it's not a light, yes, I will go. God is seeing. God will honor that you're standing there. And some of you said that before, and then the business of life crept in, family got in. God is saying, do you remember you said, yes, I will go. Do you remember you said, that can be my stage. I'm calling you again. I'm calling you again. I want to ask, there's some of you, your heart's racing Say, that is me. That is me. There's, there's a church plan. There's a going to the nation. It's a supporting of a church plan. I want to preach the, the love of Jesus to the lost somewhere else. And your heart's raising your notes. You Won't you come forward? We're going to pray because I believe it's a holy moment where God wants to equip and a power and a commission. Some of you saying, this is my boat. This is my boat, my career. There's some of you carrying degrees. And that degree will get you into a nation where no one else can go. And that degree is the, the boat of the Savior, the stage of the Savior. Father God, I thank you. Father, this is a holy moment. People saying, I will go. I will go. I'll leave my comfort. I do not understand Jesus. I do not know where the catch will come from. I do not know how it's going to work. I cannot work it out, but I'll go for the sake of the cross. God's going to break your heart for the lost. You're not going to cry for the lost, for those that never heard about Jesus. He's going to say, your hands, your voice, your feet will be my stage. Will be my stage. 
Father, I pray right now your anointing, your blessing upon your people. Father God, I pray, Lord Jesus, as they take a step of obedience and saying, Lord, I don't know whether it's going to be tomorrow or maybe in 10 years' time, but I'm prepared to go. Father God, I pray, Lord, as they take that step, as they push, actually sort of like be pushing out that boat of Jesus and say, yes, you have my boat. Father, I thank you, Lord, that you'll make a way. Father, I thank you that you'll open doors. Thank you, Jesus, that you're in charge of the blueprint, Father God, that you'll call them, they'll know where it is. Father God, I thank you for provision. I thank you, Lord, that you're in in the detail of it. Father, I thank you that we will take take care of the preparation. And we'll do what we can, Father God, and we'll wait for the timing and the call when it's ready from you, Lord Jesus. We will not birth an Ishmael, but we will wait for this promise. Father God, I pray right now, won't you come and touch? 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 Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father God.